Hi everyone, hope you're having an awesome day. I'm Oliver Ko, and you're listening to Malaysian Politics Explained, a podcast where we dive into the ins and outs of Malaysia's political system and discuss the policies that will help shape our future. In the first part of this episode, we answered two key questions on native rights in Malaysia. Namely, who is considered a native and what are native rights? If you haven't already listened to the first part, I'll give you a second to pause so you can head over to the previous episode and do so now. Done? Awesome. Now in this episode, we're going to be looking at why native rights are such a huge issue in Sabah and Sarawak and the arguments to keep them as is or to expand their application. Quick disclaimer before we get into things, I will not be giving my own opinions on these policies, just the arguments for and against them. And that's because the point of this podcast is really not to convert everyone to my views on policy, but so that you can decide for yourselves what you think. In the previous episode, we learned how native rights are a result of colonialism. So that begs the question, aren't we good now that we've left it behind? Haven't we already achieved independence from the West? Haven't we found a solution to this problem? Don't we already recognize the existence of these rights in Malaysia? Well, the answer to that is yes and no. The colonizers have left and Malaysia has gained its independence over the West. But for better or for worse, we've kept the system that they started and adopted their methods of governance. And it is this system and its enforcement that has become the focus of criticism over the years. Suhakam, Malaysia's Human Rights Commission, released a report in 2008 regarding the inadequate recognition of native rights. There are two main criticisms of the system. The first is that the structure of land rights is disadvantageous to indigenous communities. And the second is regarding the nature of the title given to these natives. To understand the first issue, you have to also understand how land law works in Malaysia. Very briefly, the government which was created after the British left took charge of their system. And basically, it means that any private ownership of land must be registered to the land office and recorded in an official database known as the land register. All other land will be automatically owned by the state. Now, if that sounds a little too complicated for you, you can imagine that the country is sort of like an enormous apartment building, with each of the units being various pieces of land. Unless someone buys, owns, and puts their name on the unit, it remains under the control of the apartment's management. Critics of this system say that while it works well in urbanized and more well-developed areas of Malaysia, it does not work in the native communities in the heartlands of Sarawak and Sabah. This is because rural communities are not as well equipped to register their lands officially. They've been there for generations and such a system just doesn't make sense to them. Commentators have also criticised the lack of effort put in by the government to survey these lands. And this leads to a confusion when the state governments alienate lands for development projects like palm oil plantations. Sometimes, these lands already have native communities living on them and are suddenly swarmed by excavators and lorries seeking to turn their ancestral land into a factory. 
Now, to use our analogy, it's like you are staying in an apartment unit and you've had it in your family for generations when suddenly a new apartment manager takes over. They make it a policy that to own a unit, you must register it in your name. But they forget to tell you and they don't check the units to see which ones are occupied. Then, they sell the units that they think are unoccupied and the new family will try to move into your unit. Needless to say, the communities are obviously unhappy and will normally seek legal action. So legally, native populations are able to claim their land. In order to do this, however, they need to prove that they have inhabited the land prior to 1958. And this often proves difficult due to the lack of written records still existing from the former British administration. Furthermore, it doesn't take into account the customs of the indigenous people. For example, nomadic tribes such as the Penans in Sarawak, which hunt and gather from different areas depending on the season and do not establish enough of a permanent foothold over their lands to show their use of it over decades. The second key critique of the current system is the nature of native title. The current system gives natives a right to use the land but not own it. So for example, in Sarawak, surveys are done under Section 6 of the Land Code, which gives native communities what is known as a usufructuary right. To understand what this means, we can go back to our previous apartment example. So let's say you have registered your apartment unit under the management and they tell you, hey, look, you're allowed to use the unit however you want. But if we ever need it back, we can kick you out and not pay you any compensation. In order to remedy this, commentators have suggested white surveys be done to register native title on land and that the title be regarded as proprietary in nature, which means that the title should be something that recognizes ownership, not just the right to use. This has created a debate around whether these rights should be expanded and better enforced. There are notably arguments on both sides and we'll examine them both in turn. Now the central argument against the expansion of native land rights and why they should not be extended is that it is bad for development. And the idea is that if the state gives back too much of this land to the natives, they will not be able to allocate as much to rural hospitals, schools or roads or clinics. Moreover, by alienating land to corporations, they are able to create new industries which will benefit the rural population. For example, palm oil plantations or hydroelectric dams to provide energy. This encourages the creation of jobs and helps to accelerate the growth of Malaysia's economy, indirectly helping the native communities grow as well. This approach will push the native community towards modernization increasing their standard of living. Those who want these rights expanded on the other hand state that the current system is a modern version of white man syndrome, where the urban elite is trying to impose their ideas of development and modernization on rural communities against their will. Icon and Lee have a great article about this which I've linked in the description below and they argue that in spite of these policies, indigenous communities remain among the poorest in Malaysia. Those who would rather expand these policies point instead to research which suggests that an expansion of land rights would not be anti-development but instead encourage an economic growth. They argue that the native population is not averse to development. They 
are not allergic to it. They just want to benefit from it when it involves their ancestral land. Allowing natives proprietary rights over their lands and ownership of those lands will enable them to be involved in joint ventures with corporations instead of just being employed by them. I have a friend actually, uh, her name is Shireen and she did a literature review as part of her dissertation which showed that in countries like India, land reform was related to decreased inequality especially among agricultural communities. Furthermore, it is argued that the deep ties of the natives to the land guarantees that any development will also be environmentally sustainable, as opposed to the rampant deforestation and pollution which may result from purely profit-motivated corporations. Other arguments point to the cultural and spiritual significance that the indigenous population has to their ancestral land. Having been there for thousands of years, their cultural identity is tied to the land and recognizing their rights it's not solely about the economic benefit, but what is objectively right and moral. Now, in conclusion, these issues become the focus of many elections because of the systemic issues that affect the registration of native land rights and the nature of those rights. Those who think that the status quo should be maintained argue that the current system encourages economic development within the country, allowing schools hospitals and roads to be built. Those who want reform argue, on the other hand, that development is better served by allowing the indigenous population to decide their own economic destiny and that this will lead to a prosperous, greener and overall more just society. Whichever side you agree on is really up to you. And that its native customary rights and the arguments surrounding its expansion explained. That's all for this episode of Malaysian Politics Explained. Hope you guys enjoyed the content and if you have any ideas for future episodes, do let me know by DMing me on Instagram or on Facebook. And remember, register to vote.